HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, home of New York's craft cider. I love New York. Plan your getaway at visitithaca.com. This is Meant to be Eaten, the Gastronomica podcast on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Paula Johnson, your host for today. This episode is part of a series in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. Our fall 2021 issue on global gastropolitics features articles on taste, ingredients, palates, and power from different times and places. Join hosts like me from the journal's editorial collective as we speak with authors. My guest this week is Stephen Velasquez. Steve is a curator at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History in the Division of Cultural and Community Life. Full disclosure here, Steve and I are professional colleagues. We're both curators on the museum's food history team. He joins us today to discuss art and activism based on his piece in our fall 2021 issue, Stirring the Pot, Calendario de Comida, 1976, Chicano Art as Food Activism, appears in Gastronomica 21.3. Thank you for joining us, Steve, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Sure. So, Steve, I'd like to start by asking if you would briefly tell listeners about what you do as a Smithsonian curator curator, and your current areas of research at the American History Museum. Um, Well, as a curator um, at American History, uh, the American History Museum, um, my role is uh, to do research on topics, translate that research into museum exhibits or museum programs, uh, and create uh, 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 learning goals and objectives for visitors to uh, see exhibits and to learn something and to uh, start to have conversations about some of these topics in American history. Uh, Many of my projects revolve around Latino history, uh, the Latino experience, and I do that through uh, uh, looking at collections and and topics of everyday life, um, food, food activism, food labor, um, immigration, uh, cultural history. Um, our museum is pretty big, and uh, that topics that I work on kind of cross every uh, division, every every research uh, t- 
topic that we have at the museum. So uh, I get to work with a lot of colleagues and and try to create really interdisciplinary uh, exhibits that that are really engaging. Great, thanks. Tell us, if you would, then about this collection of artworks, the Calendario de Comida, Calendar of Food, and what led you to study and write about it for Gastronomica. Well, the uh, so as a curator working in American history, uh, working on Latino uh, history projects, um, I ran across a, a series of images many years ago that featured, um, uh, uh, you know, these really 1970s colors, uh, bright oranges, bright reds, bright greens, uh, images of, of uh, food, people preparing food. Um, and I was intrigued by these, uh, but I kind of filed them away in the back of my brain because I didn't have the, the time or bandwidth to kind of really delve into it. Um, and I found these in uh, collections dealing with uh, other Chicano artists from the 60s and 70s. Um, fast forward a, a bit uh, later, and a curator at the Smithsonian American Art Museum was starting to, to work on a new project about art and activism, especially around the Chicano movement, the movimiento, the, the fight for representation and equality um, that came out in the 60s and 70s. Um, <clears throat> and I learned that she she collected these images, and I finally got to see all the images together. And it was uh, uh, – it had – had belonged to a, a, a calendar series that was created, uh, created 1975, but printed for 1976. Um, you know, 12, 13 images of food um, that kind of revolved around the Chicano movement and kind of this fight for representation. Um, mm -hmm. So I did some preliminary research when we were kind of talking and she was developing this exhibit. Um, just very preliminary just to find out a little bit more about the artists, a little bit about more uh, about who created this. Um, and But it was apparent to me when I saw these images together that it wasn't just imagery about food. There was another layer of information being conveyed, and I just didn't quite um, uh, understand it at the time until I started delving into the history of the Chicano movement, the history of the group that created this. Fast forward to the pandemic, COVID, and the racial violence that we saw in 2019, 2020. Um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, essential workers and social justice and food shortages and kind of going back to basics. And that's when it hit me. That's when it dawned on me that these were the exact kind of issues that these artists were conveying in the in this calendar: the fight for equality, that farm workers matter that Mexican-American history traditions are important and always have been, that um, pre-Columbian importance of some of these foods that have been feeding generations are something that we should look back to. Mm -hmm. um, and so that formed the kind of the basis of highlighting some of these images during our Food History Weekend programming, which is a, a annual series where we highlight um, lots of different topics around the, the subject of food. Uh, <clears throat> and this, that year, 2020, which was a, uh, you know, a, just a very horrible year, 
but uh, uh, it's in relation to the Julia Child Award winner, and the, and in that year was all about food justice, and it kind of fit the bill. They were engaging images that really hit at some of these topics that we were engaging with in that program. So that led me to do a lot more research about um, the artists, uh, you know, why they created this, the group that created it, and uh, ultimately to the to the short article in Gastronomica. That, that's thank you, Steve. That's uh, such an interesting pathway. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the images themselves. And here, I apologize to listeners. The artwork is absolutely stunning. Um, and it's hard to convey that with just words, but uh, there are many elements to these uh, these works of art that I hope you can help us understand, Steve. Um, what what are some of the food scenes that make up the calendario, and how would they have been perceived among activists in the Chicano movement, as well as by people within and outside of Mexican-American communities? All right, well, so... Um... This was printed, like I said, 1975. It was a, a calendar series, so 12 images plus a cover, so 13 images, that was printed and sold as a fundraiser for um, a collaboration between the Royal Chicano Air Force and the Galleria de la Raza, both um, community organizations that served uh, Northern California. Uh, and so... These were printed a screen print, so you know you see the, the images with the, the big squeegee and, and, and you know two, three, four color color tones. Um, so they're they're bright colors, you know. Think seventies, think kind of uh, <laughs> uh, you know kind of uh, really interesting color schemes and designs. Um, uh, you know, things that convey landscape, right? Southwest, Mexico, uh, imagery, uh, details that convey kind of pre-Columbian themes and motifs. Um, again, uh, images that are um, of that period, maybe some dress or some design elements. And so these calendars um, feature kind of three different uh, registers. One main image one small section of, you know, the, 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 the dates uh, and the days, the, the calendar part, and then a smaller register that's sometimes has a poem, sometimes has a recipe, sometimes has a different image. And so these were sold, like I said, as a fundraiser. <clears throat> I, I believe it was $25. Um, and they kind of use the calendar idea because calendars um, – um, were something that was very, um, uh, these kinds of calendars, lots of different imagery were often used as giveaways or sold, uh, in lots of different Mexican American, uh, supermarkets and restaurants. And so it was kind of a common, um, uh, decorative and functional element, uh, in these stores and restaurants. And they, you know, often advertise. And so, um, uh, it was it, it was something that the artist knew intimately and drew upon, um, mm-hmm. and so each image. I mean, of the thirteen images, there, there's so many different styles, um, but some of the ones that I like that really kind of convey this um, 
uh, this notion of social justice and of the Chicano movement. Um, there was kind of three that kind of that I'll discuss or I'll talk about that kind of representative of the entire uh, series. The cover image, I think, I find um, super fascinating. Um, <clears throat> it, it, it's quite revealing and, and quite telling. And the there's pinks, there's oranges, there's yellows, and there's greens. Um, in the upper corners, there's an imagery of a, a Spanish conquistador, someone obviously who's European uh, with uh, um, you know with a Spanish helmet. And then there, in the other opposite corner, opposite him, is another figure that. Um, is meant to look like uh, an Aztec warrior. It's it's very indigenous. It's uh, you see these in kind of pre-Columbian codices. Uh, then throughout the image, um, uh, and so that right off the bat is kind of telling you about this complicated, violent history that's both intertwined uh, and and kind of uh, really talks about this. Um, European indigenous uh, mix right off the bat. Then we see uh, uh, imagery that honors the role of women kind of as tradition bearers and sustainers of community. They're preparing food. Uh, we see a, a woman uh, grinding corn on a, on a matate by hand. We see a woman preparing something with a small child. Um we see corn stalks and agave plants and New World melons. We see tortillas. We see uh, these decorative elements of pyramids. Um, uh, clearly, oh, and chili peppers. Uh, you know, clearly placing a value on tradition um, that kind of sustained the Mexican American community for generations. Um, another image is the June image which uh, we see a, a panaderia, a, a bakery. Um, but the bakery was kind of the heart of the Mexican community in the, in the mission, San Francisco Mission District. It was a corner, corner uh, establishment um, called La Victoria. Um, this corner store advertised community events and the windows and the doorway. Uh, we see imagery of pan dulce, um, tortas, cookies, uh, baskets of plantains, and then a lovingly transcribed recipe for pastelitos de coco or coconut tarts. Um, those are, you know, bright greens and <laughs> bright yellows. And then in May, we see a single ear of corn. That's the main image. Uh, a maíz with the words país, raíz, maíz, country corn root. In the smaller register, uh, and in the ti- and he titles it um, "Paramis Hefitas uh, Since the Dawn of Time" for my lady uh, lady bosses since the dawn of time, and so that kind of though that's kind of a uh, a representative sample of what we see in the, the image. Wonderful, thank you. Steve, you mentioned the Royal Chicano Air Force and La Galleria de la Raza. Um, it's time for you to tell us more about them and, you know, how those artists and that artist collective worked um, to produce the calendario. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I, um, I love kind of learning about 
uh, about these groups are really telling. So these images were created, like I said, during the Movimiento, during the movement, the Chicano movement, during a time of great social and political change, uh, you know, demanding equality, uh, representation and justice. So um, uh, it was a, a time where Mexican-Americans had little voice in politics or a uh, few economic outlets or opportunities. Uh, neighborhoods were, were full of neglect. Uh, and in art specifically, there was a lack of representation in museums. So groups took matters into their own, into their own hands. Um, uh, it was also a time when it was firmly bounded by the counterculture movement and the good food movement. Uh, kind of that appreciation and exploration of diversity, of a healthy mind, body, spirit, awareness. Um, so this, and it was this context that the Rebel Chicano Art Front and the Galleria de la, Galleria de la Raza were born. Um, the, the, Royal Chicano, or the, the Rebel Chicano Air Force, or RCAF, um, um, uh, like to use humor to disarm and break down barriers to be kind of, you know, warm and, and, and welcoming. They started out as the rebel Chicano uh, art front and they would, uh, you know, create images, uh, uh, and sign them RCAF and people <clears throat> would get, would confuse them with the, um, Royal Canadian air force. <laughs> and so, um, uh, you know, being this kind of uh, humorous bunch, they decided to take that and rename themselves the Royal Chicano Air Force. Uh, you know, they created uh, 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 names of, uh, you know, general and things like that. They created a, a mythic origin story where they flew uh, planes here from Atslan, the mythic, mythic homeland of Atslan and, and Adobe airplanes. Um but, you know, that, like I said, that was all in, a, in an effort to kind of uh, break down and confront some of these issues head on in, in a way that was uh, meaningful to the to everybody around them. Um, and so they created this uh, kind of after school art space, a library, an auto mechanic training space. Um, the, you know, it was it was born in in this community for this community. Um, and the Galleria de la Raza grew out of a cultural center from the 60s. Um, they, they had artists in residence program. They, they created the Stay of the Dead program. That was kind of um, the, you know, that revived the Day of the Dead uh, um, traditions here in the United States. Um, and so both groups were really advocates for change and, and, really um, uh, helped the community kind of help themselves, give them a voice and, and kind of raise, raise issues within the city uh, to help, to help this community. And this is in San Francisco or Sacramento? Like- oh, I'm sorry. Yes. So the Royal Chicano Air Force was in Sacramento and the Galleria was uh, definitely uh, in San Francisco. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, helping you to plan your next getaway. Ithaca has waterfalls and wineries, art and theater, outdoor recreation, and family fun. The area is famous for its glacier-carved gorges, co-op-run businesses, 
and cultural influences from Cornell University and Ithaca College. Plus, you can't beat the beauty of Cayuga Lake, the largest of the Finger Lakes. Beyond 150 waterfalls and some of the region's best hiking trails, Ithaca is cider. The area is well known for its local cideries, which are leading the way in America's cider revival. You can hear from the region's cider makers directly on HRN series Hardcore. There's something really special about Ithaca's climate for cultivating delicious apples steeped in history and terroir. Let Visit Ithaca help you plan your next trip to this hub of food, drink, culture, and agritourism. Home of New York's craft cider, I love New York. Get started at visitithaca.com. And we're back. This is Meant to be Eaten with Paula Johnson talking with Steve Velasquez about his article, Stirring the Pot, Calendario de Comida, 1976, Chicano Art as Food Activism, available in issue 21.3 of Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. You were telling us about the uh, Movimiento and the different artist groups um, located in Sacramento and, and San Francisco. How many artists were involved? Yeah, so um, uh, there's a, you, both groups kind of had a, had a core uh, founding membership, you would say, uh, maybe about a dozen um, artists. Uh, and then, of course, each, each group did other kinds of activities um, besides uh, art. And so um, there are substantial um, programs uh, big enough that, you know, they would, they would seek uh, city and state funding to, to keep the operations going. Um, But it was a core group of um, about a dozen artists each um, all with, ties to, well, many, many of them ties to uh, local um, universities and colleges, art departments. Um, And most of them are young. Some of them uh, use the GI Bill to um, go back to school. Um, They were, uh, some of them were students themselves, um, but they also use the space for students to, to learn, you know, uh, um, uh, silkscreen techniques and, and art techniques. Interesting. So you spoke a little bit about the context of the 1970s in California and in the food scene uh, writ large. I'm wondering, I think listeners may be familiar with the United Farm Workers Union and the struggle of Latino farm workers during this time. How is that struggle depicted in the calendario? Um, that's a very good question. So uh, exactly, you know, this grew out of the, the movement. The Royal Chicano Air Force uh, was very prolific in supporting the movement by creating posters to be used for, um, you know, boycotts and marches. Um, um, you know, they would uh, often print these announcements or posters or calls for action um, uh, for the United Farm Workers, um, you know, for free. Um, and, you know, with these images and kind of um, underlying and underscoring 
the the history and value of Mexican American identity, um, the the United Farm Worker does pop in uh, in some of these images, but not overtly, which mm-hmm. is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, for instance, there's a in the February issue, there's a the the UFW Eagle, which mm-hmm. is kind of based on this pre-Columbian imagery that pops up. Um, there's uh, in one of the small registers of the calendar, there's a vote UFW um, little scribble, little cartoon in there. Um, so it pops up here and there, uh, but you know, farm workers, um, uh, um, the farm worker movement, uh, the value of, of farming and growing food and, and working the land. Um, that's kind of evident in some of these images, but it's not overt. It's not like some of the uh, iconic um, art from this period, from the same groups. Uh, and so what they're doing something different here by really placing um, value emphasis on many different aspects of um, growing food um, honoring tradition, um, uh, you know, calling for for action. So, yeah, it's just interesting that there's the agricultural context, and then this more domestic uh, context of cooking and uh, women uh, cooking and feeding communities. And so, I just thought that was something that you mentioned in the article um, that uh, really resonated with me. Um, so you are writing about the symbols of history and identity that that make up these works. You know, tell us a little bit uh, about that. And are those symbols as powerful today as they were when the calendario was created in 1976? Um, I, I I think you know the 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 symbolism I think really um, has lasted. Um, you know, like I said, there's, there's imagery of kind of this, this violence, this mixing, this mestizaje, uh, which really values, um, uh, kind of both the, the past and the present, um, you know, imagery of tomato, onion and pepper, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, to create, you know, the, for, for January salsa cruda, um, there's pre-Columbian imagery, uh, in here taken straight from codices or, or based on codice images. Um, um, there's um, uh, value placed on knowledge of native plants. Um, there's a humorous one about uh, tortillas. <laughs> Hijos de la gran tortilla, right? Children of the great tortilla. Uh, and then there's a very um, beautiful, simple chili pepper as a highlight. Um, you know, the the, the very important uh, food that came from the New World that has influenced um, just about every uh, culture and community. Um, there's the agave plant, right? And uh, the artist uh, really details... Uh, different kinds of uses for this plant, which had all kinds of domestic uses from 
uh, from fibers to medicines. Um, and then, of course, it talks about politics. There's there's an image of the food stamp, um, um, a play on the food stamp, which is really kind of engaging head on some of the um, economic issues that we see. And then uh, uh, and and you know, kind of the role of woman of the woman in some of these uh, uh, images. The the one um, I think it was December showed the Chicana. And uh, can you talk a little bit about the role of women in the activist uh, realm? Yeah, so it's interesting that um, the Chicano movement has been often criticized um, for the kind of the lack of representation in women in art or kind of the lack of women in leadership positions during the movement for stereotyping uh, women. Um, two Only two women are for featured in this series, uh, Lorenza Campusano and Patricia Rodriguez. Um, but the RCAF um, relied heavily on women to engage with the community that they were embedded in. Uh, Lerma Barbosa, for instance, ran the Breakfast for Ninos program, um, feeding, uh, uh, you know, feeding children um, uh, during breakfast time. She also ran programs centered on women's health initiatives. She ran uh, medicinal plant workshops. She ran um, this uh, program called Face, uh, Fiesta de Maiz, which was a ceremony centered around uh, women's health and body. Uh, and, you know, the images are pretty clear that um, they're honoring the role of women sustaining the family and community. So it's, it's um, the, the contradiction may be out there in some other images, but I think it's it's um, not that evident here in this series. Oh, interesting. Steve, are there similar collections of Chicano Latino activist art that you're studying or that you're interested in? Um, I The connection that you make between public art and social movements is so important. And I, I'm just wondering, is it fair to even ask you how uh, 2021 calendario de comida might differ in terms of particular food issues, spaces, landscapes, and, and people? Oh, well, you know, I, I think today's um, artivism, as I you know, sometimes have um, been called artivism, uh-huh. it's seen a resurgence, you know, unfortunately, because of racial politics or economics. Um, there's this constant problem is still facing us. And so, Social media certainly raised awareness of some of these issues and, and the power of art. Um, there's a group called uh, Dignidad Rebelde, which is really addressing indigenous land issues and water rights, clean water, climate change, um, women in the field, and, and a whole host of other social justice causes. And so, um, and they're doing it in, in a way that, like the RCAF, is is met for everyone, right? They used posters because it was cheap, but it was also um, uh, something that people could relate to, right? It wasn't Mm -hmm. art in the museum. It was art in the streets, murals too. Um, There's a, there's a a group in San Francisco. That's um, all about murals that started in the late, late seventies. And they're honoring community and culture and food, uh, big, bright images. Um, and there's, you know, artists like um, Esther Hernandez, who 
created this famous image called Sun Mad, uh, which is a play on the on the Sun Made uh, uh, logo, right? Right. Uh, you know, she she grew, she grew up in the fields uh, and saw family and friends kind of pass because of the pesticide use, and so she created this image of a skeleton holding the bag basket of raisins, and she did that in, in 1982. Um, she updated it in 2008, where the skeleton is uh, is wearing a wipil, which is a, an indigenous uh, blouse from Mexico. Uh, and 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 this person, the skeleton, also has an, an ice wrist monitor. Um, and so, you know, this these issues don't go away, and, and social media has really played a, an important role in kind of increasing awareness. And so. Um, uh, we might see some of these issues again and mm-hmm. uh, in a calendar, but um, there yeah. are artists out there who are engaged with it uh, head on. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, you mentioned that there are poems in the calendario as well. And before we have to sign off, I wonder, would you mind reading from one of the poems, one that you find particularly powerful or appealing? Um, sure. Yeah, there are about three or four, three poems in here, but I know one that struck me for, you know, just for, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know why it struck me so powerfully, but it, but it did. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll read it as it is. And then I'll, I'll attempt to translate it. Okay. It goes, Kids la comida, sino la sangre de nuestros esperanzas. ¿Qué es la comida sino el deseo de un destino sin hambre? What is food but the blood of our hope? What is food but a desire to be free from hunger? Wow. Thank you, Steve. That is a powerful way to end this this discussion. Thank you so much for joining us Um Listeners can read the full article and enjoy the, the wonderfully complex and, and visually stunning artwork in Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies, Volume 21.3. For more details, please visit gastronomica.org. Thank you.